Happy Monday, everyone. Hope you all had a great weekend. Welcome back to Unbothered with Josh. Today, I'm going to be talking about some uh, NFL ESPN came out with their FPI. For those who don't know what that is, I'll get into that. Uh, we're going to talk about Big Ben as well and what he said about Kenny Pickett. And then I'm going to get into the NBA. Um, yesterday, he took a commanding 3-0 series lead, late, uh, excuse me, 3-0 series lead. And the Nuggets-Lakers, game four, is tonight. Can the Lakers prolong the series? As well as the PGA Championship thoughts as well at the end. So let's uh, get off uh, with the NFL. And, you know, this was kind of just in. It was a, it's a new rule, uh, which the NFL owners have approved. And that's in an emergency uh, third quarterback. So, uh, this applies to quarterbacks who are on a team's 53-man roster. So you can, uh, you know, have that emergency uh, quarterback ready to play uh, in a game because uh, right now they only allow for two quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. And uh, now you can have three, and that's big, uh, especially in big spots like the NFC Championship game where you can thank the San Francisco 49ers due to the fact that Brock Purdy got injured in the NFC Championship game, and then the backup, uh, Johnson, somehow got injured as well because they were running Christian McCaffrey in wild spot plays, wild wild cat uh, spot plays. Didn't work out. Uh, They did not have a quarterback on their roster. Uh, You know, George Kittle was... You know, upset that they got knocked out because essentially they didn't have a quarterback out there. So I think it's a smart rule, uh, especially in big games like that. Now, off the top of my head, I can't tell how many teams usually need to go down to a a third-string quarterback. I look at the Niners being an example of quarterbacks who get injured there. I look at the Dolphins last year. Uh, Tua was injured and uh, Teddy uh, Bridgewater got injured for a stint as well. I think they had Skylar Thompson, and he was a little banged up. Uh, so they had a lot of, you know, banged up quarterbacks in their rotation. Um, but, again, I think this is a this is a good rule that will benefit teams, especially in uh, come playoff times when, again, you're 53-man roster. You're probably not going to use that 52nd, 53rd guy, uh, whatever his designation may be. So might as well be a quarterback. So, again, I think this is a smart rule that the NFL has in place now uh, to allow for that uh, player in position. Then next up, the NFL football power index came out. So uh, what the NFL football power index is, is, you know, what I refer to as FPI, what a lot of people refer to that as. And what that is is a rating and projection model. For each NFL team. So what they do is, you know, we take the win totals from, uh, you know, betting sites such as Cedar Sportsbooks, the strength of schedule, along with past team performance, returning starters, and they kind of simulate, you know, a thousand seasons uh, and factor in travel, rest differential, all that. So they factor in a lot to kind of determine the uh, best team. And at number one is the Chiefs, who I got no problem for. They're the defending champions. 
I think they should be number one in all power rankings, FPI. And so that makes sense. Uh, number two surprised me, uh, you know, because considering this is probably the most likely to win the championship, you know, based on that uh, model right there. Number two was the Buffalo Bills. Now, this one intrigued me, especially when you factor in uh, post, you know, performances and how Buffalo is kind of into the season the past couple times. And not only that, I'm not saying they've regressed or anything, but I think teams have gotten better. Like, I wouldn't have put, I would have put the Bengals ahead of the Bills because of the weapons that they have. Joe Burrow being a better quarterback than Josh Allen. Adding Orlando Brown. Uh, you know, strengthening the offensive line. So I think the Bills were very, very high at two. Um, you know, in this simulation that they did, um, I don't think Bills won the Super Bowl the second most out of a thousand times a season uh, were to be played. What I also thought was high was the Dolphins at nine ahead of teams uh, such as the Ravens, Lions, and Jaguars. Those three teams I like better than the Dolphins, again, considering uh, their quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, who's a walking concussion at this fight, just has a lot of injury issues. I, you know, I'm not throwing shade at his game or anything like that because when healthy, he had the highest passer rating last year, so he was very good with the very good weapons that he had. Uh, but, again, it's that injury concern. Again, same thing can be said for the Ravens. Uh, but again, I think Lamar's a stronger quarterback than Tua is. And again, I think the Lions have a better overall team. They've made a lot of strides. I think the Jaguars show they had a good team last year, uh, beating the Chargers, um, going toe-to-toe with the Chiefs in the divisional round. So again, that's another uh, couple changes I would tweak to the ESPN-FBI uh, in this model. Now, I know it's a simulation. But that one, I wasn't too sure about. And then the other one as well uh, was the Seahawks ahead of a – I would have had the Seahawks ahead of the Browns. The Browns are currently ahead of them. Uh, I'm not too sure about that as well. So there were 18 teams uh, that were positive. So you kind of want the most positive uh, rating. So, for example, the Chiefs had a plus 6.4, higher but better. The lower you go, the worse. So you don't want a negative. So teams 1 through 18 had a positive. Seahawks were right there at that threshold at 0.1. And you had a lot of teams after them um, that I kind of consider um, as well. The Rams, I do think, are going to read that. No, I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I do think this team uh, is going to improve with Aaron Donald returning healthy, Cooper Cup healthy, and Matthew Stafford. That's the core of their team. A lot of them. All three of those guys were injured at various points last year, shut down for the season. So I do think that if they're healthy, I don't think they'll be in a negative point differential. I could see them battling um, Seattle, honestly, for the two-seed in their division. If they are fully healthy and the team's fully committed, again, I don't see them being as bad as the Bears um, this season. I think they'll improve. Uh, The Texans are the worst team. Uh, honestly, I would have the Cardinals or Buccaneers just considering uh, seeing the Buccaneers play last year without or with Tom Brady, not making any changes to the roster except downgrading at quarterback. 
That worries me. I don't have them as good as the Cardinals. No Kyler Murray uh, for the start of this season, probably for the first few months. So, again, that's another team I would have lower um, than the Texans. But outside of that, uh, you know, a lot of the good teams, I mean, when you look at the best team's chance to win the Super Bowl, Eagles are number one, again, because I believe so, because they have a very good rock compared to the NFC, which is weaker than the AFC. Um, so, again, coming out of the NFC, you're not facing that gauntlet. You just have to get to the game itself, the Super Bowl. And as I think recent Super Bowls have shown, it's you kind of have a 50-50 shot once you get there. And the Chiefs are at two. Again, I agree with 49ers. A lot of people predicting an Eagles 49ers championship game rematch. Um, Bills there at four. Again, I would have the Bengals ahead of them. They are tied for odds. Cowboys and the Lions, Jets tied there around seven. So I kind of agree with all those races. Uh, but again, I'm looking forward to the um, NFL season. Uh, they say the Patriots have the toughest. Um, schedule and you know toughest schedules Patriots Chiefs Bills Dolphins Jets uh, makes sense considering those are all AFC teams AFC teams are much more stacked so when you look at the easiest schedules of course it's Saints Falcons Colts um, Panthers Texans so Again, that makes sense considering majority of the toughest schedules are in the AFC, uh, especially the AFC East, easiest, NFC, NFC South. So, again, a lot of that um, there for them. Moving on to what Ben Roethlisberger said about Kenny Pickett. Uh, and I'll break this down in whole as well, so I'm not going to slant anything. Uh, what was said, I'll kind of read his quote, word for word, because uh, Roethlisberger uh, has a podcast. Um, Kenny Pickett was actually on the podcast. He told this to Kenny Pickett's face, um, which I couldn't believe, and he said he didn't know if I should say this, and he thought he'd get blasted. But he said, and I quote, I wouldn't say that I wanted Kenny to necessarily fail, but when someone comes to replace you, I still feel like I had it. I hope he doesn't come ball out because then it's like uh, Ben who, end of quote. Now, I'll take that first part, for example, because he said he still had it. Uh, now, that's probably a mentality thing because you look at his game the past uh, three years, he clearly – did not have it. Now, in 2019, was injured. I didn't play. Uh, comes back 2020. They have that great start to the season. I think a 10 and 0, 11 and 0. I believe it was 11 and 0, but kind of fluky. Didn't look good. Now his stats were all right: 33 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, but only 250 yards uh, per game, which was his lowest since like the 2012 season. So it wasn't great. He got sacked and hit a ton. He just looked so immobile. It wasn't like the Ben Roethlisberger and pass where we kind of elude you and use that big body uh, to kind of break some tackles in a pocket. It was like 
the Statue of Liberty back there. It was a cement block. It was immobile. And then it progressed to the following year um, as well, where the touchdowns dipped from 33 to 22. Um, still 10 interceptions. The yards were 233, uh, which were his lowest since, like, his second year. So he wasn't breaking any records. He wasn't great um, that year either. Same issues plagued him. So none of us said, uh, well, I think Ben still got it. Why is he retiring? It was like, thank you, Ben, for retiring because you're just not that guy anymore. So then when he said, you know, I still feel like I had it, it was, it was, no, you don't, Ben. Take a look in the mirror. Take a look at your stats, how you felt. You didn't have it. You didn't put in off-season work like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or anyone else did. You just didn't. And then he went on to say, early on, and I quote, early on, I didn't want you to succeed because you followed me up. I didn't want it to happen. I think that's probably the selfishness of me, and I feel bad for it. End of quote for there. So he didn't want him to succeed. And now I'm tired of... I'm kind of tired of hearing older players talk, to be honest with you, because their narrative is they're always trying to bring themselves, their era up, and demean, diminish, and belittle the next generation. And when I hear that, I talk about Joe Montana being jealous of Tom Brady being the GOAT. And the things he said in an article a few months ago um, leading up to the NFC Championship game, and it was like, Really? You can't be happy for someone's success? It was like, it was painful to watch Super Bowl 50 uh, there being honored because Tom Brady got his fifth ring. And Ben Dilfer commenting about Brady and Aaron Rodgers when you're not even a quarter of a quarterback that they were. And that generation of not wanting to root for other players. To me, it's just, it's pathetic is really what it is. It's It's sad insecurity, and pathetic. That's that's all I can say. But I will give uh, Ben Roethlisberger props. And I quote, as you started playing, that being Kenny Pickett, I found myself that being Ben, rooting for more and more for you. You wanted him to succeed, win games, go to the playoffs. You know, he says he's glad he transitioned to loving and rooting for you. Now that's just exactly what I want to hear, but... The face of the franchise for 20 years to your face say, didn't like you, didn't want you to succeed, but you know, I've kind of warmed up to you because it's not about me. It's about the Steelers and the organization I played for and continuing uh, their successful run that they've had with quarterbacks from, you know, starting with Terry Bradshaw all the way down to you, Ben Roethlisberger. So enough of the older players, this past generation of 1990s, early, early, early 2000s players hating on the current players. It's, it's, it's a joke. It's tiring is really what it is. And if they got something negative to say, just keep it to yourself now because you look sorry. Now moving on to the NBA. Last night, the Heat took a critical, crucial, big, commanding 3-0 series lead, in which was a blowout, 26-point win, 128-102. The Heat dominated. 
and I didn't see this coming. I thought it would be competitive. The first two games uh, were competitive, and the Celtics let it slip away. This was the opposite. Uh, Boston was with their lowest playoff halftime total this postseason at 46. And uh, actually, I'll start more with Miami, as Miami played really well. Uh, Jimmy Butler was just efficient, 16 points, uh, eight rebounds, six assists. He was facilitating. Gabe Vincent with his postseason best, 29 points. Uh, Band had 13 points. Duncan Robinson off the bench uh, was firing on all cylinders, 22 points. Uh, Caleb Martin, 18. Again, their offense was amazing. Their shirts that they wear warm-ups say white hot playoffs. Well, that's exactly what they were yesterday. They were white hot. They were shot 57% from the field and 54% from three. 19 of 35. That'll win you games uh, for sure because you're just shooting the other team out of the building and the other team at least has to match you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the intensity, whether it be, you know, rebounding, pushing the ball off the court, forcing you to have turnovers when you're not missing. But Boston wasn't doing uh, any of that. Um, you know, they did not play good. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown con- combined for 26 points. Tatum with 14, Jalen Brown with 12. It was pathetic. Uh, but all the players on the Boston Celtics should be ashamed of themselves. Jason Tatum shooting 6 for 18, 1 for 7 from 3. That ain't going to cut it. Jalen Brown, 6 for 17, 0 for 7 from 3. That ain't good enough. Marcus Smart, 2 for 8. Derek White, 3 for 9, uh, 3 for 6 from 3. Uh, I'll take that. Al Horford was decent, 3 for 6. Everyone else not going to slide. Now, there's been a lot of people mentioning on Twitter and different sportscasters as well. Saying, though, the solution is simple. Fire Joe Missoula. Now, I'm actually against that a lot of times on for firing uh, the coaches. You know, but this time, this doesn't sit right to me, the kind of fire Missoula campaign. You know, watching the Celtics transition from Ime Udoka from Joe Mazzulla, uh from that uh, loss that they had. Um, what am I trying to from a lot uh, from Ime Udoka from that? That wasn't really a lot from the uh, scandal that he had. Uh, you know, Ime Udoka brought in a tougher defensive-ended mindset, and Joe Mazzullo is more offensive-leaning, which I get because that's what this uh, NBA is more suited to. So I was fine uh, with that. And I've got to give him props, too, because he's 34. He's the youngest coach in the NBA. Yes, he inherited a good team. uh, But to me, he's a great leader. To me, he really is. Um, Joe Mazzullo... I don't think should get a lot of credit for that loss yesterday, but all the blame he put on was himself. He said, I didn't have them ready to play. I have to get them in a better place to be ready to play, and that's on me. Uh, He said, you know, 
think of some of the ident- defensive identity has been lost. We have to get that back. Again, that's on me. Everything was that's on me. He took all the bullets for the team. And that's somebody that I would want to go out and play for, knowing they've got my back. So Joe Mazzula is taking all this heat now. Now it's on Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and everybody else to step up. Now Jalen Brown and Marcus Martin, the players, didn't blame Joe Mazzula for anything. They said, you know, we're not pointing fingers, but it's embarrassing. Al Horford says it's a collective effort. Tatum says tonight was was tough uh, for the team. But the team looked like they quit. Um, you know, we're just, you know, as the broadcaster pointed out in the third quarters, they had a lot of wide-open shots, especially from three. They just weren't making them. Joe Mazzula can't go out and make those threes. Again, I praise Joe Mazzula's leadership, the great leader, and it's time you know, for those experienced players because guess what? Yes, he's older than all these players except for Al Horford, but those players have more experience in this situation. Uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those guys have been there six, seven years. They've been to the conference uh, finals like four or five times, a ridiculous amount. So is Al Horford. So it's on them to uh, step up, show up. Marcus Smart just praised Joe Mazzulla in the last series for letting the players be themselves, uh, letting him get critiqued. But now it is time for those players to step up, defend their coach. They can't go out in a sweep. Again, that would be Tuesday night, and this is the first time that Miami is favored in a game this series, and it's that game. Uh, But Boston, I think, has got to come out strong. Uh, And, again, I'm defending Joe Mazzulla. I don't think he should be fired. I don't think he's in over his head. Um, You know, if they lose a series, which they are going to lose in some fashion, whether it be a sweep, 4-1, 4-2, whatever it is, um, I think this is, you know, good for him to learn and to come back next year. I don't think Brad Stevens should fire him, abandon him. You know, I think just a minor retooling of a roster uh, should work for this Boston Celtics team moving forward. But, you know, you look at the people around the league, and I'll get into this, Nick Nurse looks like he's about to get a job since some of the other guys. I would keep the homegrown talent in Joe Mazzulla there in Boston. Um, That's what I would do, not getting rid of Joe Mazzulla. Then tonight, Nuggets-Lakers. Lakers are on the brink of elimination and the possibility of getting swept tonight. Uh, game four is in L.A., L.A.'s three-point favorites, uh, not opened as high as the last game did. And, you know, I look at this series, it's similar to uh, Boston, uh, but you kind of every game's been a little tighter than that one, where they had opportunities to win all these games. Uh that they've had LeBron's played, I thought, decent 24 points, 10 assists, 9 rebounds in the series. He's playing, to me, fine AD. Uh, could be playing better defensively. Uh, the rest of the supporting cast uh, could be playing better, especially D'Lo. I think Rui, Austin Reyes are playing great in the series. Um, but D'Angelo Russell's like a minus 53 through three games. He's been absolutely terrible. Um, and I'll get about him in a second. Uh, but Mo Bamba, 
is expected to return. Now, that doesn't mean an awful lot to me, considering he'll be playing limited minutes as a backup center. But maybe that's a little something, you know, they need another wrinkle they can throw to at least win one game. And I think, I don't think LeBron's going down with a sweep tonight. I just don't. Um, and then the other thing I think Lakers are going to take into account now is, you know, Nuggets are talking an awful lot now. Uh, Michael Malone has thrown shade at Anthony Davis's defense. Uh, D'Lo just being, you know, a terrible player, uh, essentially is what he's saying. Gassing LeBron James. Um, and just your style of play is better. Um, their players are better. Jamal Murray's talking a lot. You know, five wins now. We want to sweep them. Jokic's brothers are taunting the great Jack Nicholson at the Lakers game. So, even though you'll probably lose this series too, Lakers, it's time to play for some pride. It's time to at least shut the Nuggets up for one game and let them be the, the sad team answering the questions from the losses. Not you, L.A. Don't go down with a sweep. Uh, that, to me, can't happen. Then a couple reports came out today. The first one uh, with the Lakers and LeBron James. Uh, Brian Windhorse, ESPN reporter, tweeted that this is, you know, the end for LeBron. And what meaning people text him saying this is the end of, you know, the LeBron that started in 2018 uh, with a great run. 2019 got a little injured. 2020, great, won the championship. 2021 injured, and then now 2022 into 2023. And that, you know, his stats will probably dip off from that 27-7 average to like a 24-23-6-6, which isn't a big dip, but not that caring performance anymore. Which I can see and agree with, but I still think he's going to be a tremendous player. Um, But then the big question is, the thing the Nuggets have exploited the most in this series is when D'Lo's on the court. And I said this after game one. D'Lo should not be in the closing lineup. Uh, Lakers continue to stick with him. Don't think it's smart. So now there's talks of Kyrie Irving. And the only reason this has been entered is because D'Lo is having this terrible series. And to me, it makes sense um, for this to happen. And that is, you know, you're not going to get value for Kyrie. You're just not. Especially if Kyrie says he's going to the Lakers because... He doesn't have to resign. He can do anything, but it's most likely to be a sign-in trade. So the Lakers can trade D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and um, in like pick pick swaps or a second-round pick for Kyrie Irving. Now this works out because LeBron can reunite with Kyrie. That takes a lot of scoring load off him and being the primary point guard for the team, because in his prime, he could do that. But with LeBron exiting his prime, he can't take the ball out of the court. And to me, this is it's a fine fit because Kyrie's points in production exceeds that of D'Lo and Malik Beasley. And then come playoff time, Kyrie is a proven playoff performer, unlike D'Lo, who is shrinking too inconsistent. You bring in Kyrie, that works. Those two salaries trying to match as well. So you'd still be able to re-sign uh, a, or Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura, which would be tremendous if you could have a starting lineup of, you know, Kyrie, Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Bando, and Anthony Davis going into next year. 
if you know he can stay healthy, that would be a very, very good lineup, much more improved than this. So I like that a lot. Um, and then I think that benefits the Mavericks is because Mavericks, you know, uh, the chemistry is not there with Tyree and Luca, and I don't think it'll ever be there. Luca is a primary ball handler. That's why it worked with Jalen Brunson because Jalen Brunson can defer to uh, Luca. D'Angelo Russell is a lesser um, Jalen Brunson, but he'll let Luca bring the ball up. Um, Luca will get him going, make him feel comfortable, uh, but they'll know it's still Luca's team. Um, you know, D'Angelo doesn't like bringing the ball up either. You can get that Malik Beasley. You know, I think in a better situation, not that pressure around him against LeBron and the Lakers. I think his three-point shooting will be better and much more beneficial there. So at least you're not just losing out this player. So I do think that's something the Lakers um, will consider if they lose this game. Then uh, in other NBA news, um, Carmelo Anthony announced his retirement after playing 19 NBA seasons, didn't play this last year. But I just want to tip my hat off to Melo, a fantastic career, top 75 NBA player, one of the greatest scorers of all time, who is number nine in all-time scoring. Uh, was part of that great draft class with LeBron James in 03 and all them. Uh, Carmelo, again, won a scoring champion, 10-time All-Star, All-NBA, six-time. Uh, he was just uh, in his prime, fantastic. I wish he would have won a championship, but to me, his legacy is set as one of the greatest scorers of all time uh, and one of the most entertaining basketball players as well. Now I want to talk about the PGA Championship, finish up with that. So Brooks Koepka won the PGA Championship. Congratulations to Brooks. He is the first um, active live player to win a championship. Uh, there's been a lot of players that have won majors, and but nobody on the current roster has won while there. And so I want to congratulate Kepka to me. Kepka's probably the most level-headed out of all the guys. Uh, again, I want to congratulate him. But to me, it was interesting. And I'll read his comments first. And I quote about Kepka, Yeah, I think it helps live. But I'm more interested in myself right now, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's a huge thing for Liv, but at the same time, I'm out here competing as an individual at the PGA Championship. I'm happy to take this home for the third time. So, uh, again, that's kind of who Kepka is if you watch Full Swing. He's kind of self-centered. You know, I don't think I'm lying to say that. Uh, but, again, the only thing he cares about is winning majors now. If he could, I think he'd be the type of guy to only play at majors, to not even be part of a tour and do his own thing and go out and win majors because that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about live, didn't care about the PGA Tour, um, which I'm fine with. But then, uh, you know, they also asked him if he heard from Norman, and he said the only person he talked to uh, was, you know, Jenna, his wife. And, of course, congratulating all the other people didn't talk to Greg Norman. But then, of course, Brooks Kepko wins this major, brushes off Liv, and all the Liv guys come out here and want to chirp. Bryson DeChambeau did a lot of talking, says, 
that it validates everything we've said is we can still compete at the highest level. Um, it's good for the game. Also said that, you know, the truth will come out eventually. The truth always plays itself out. Uh, Cam Smith said, you know, we haven't forgotten how to play golf. And uh, Norman says, golf knows live belongs. And it's a, just a bunch of bull. I couldn't stand it. I'm fine with, you know, I'm fine with Brooks winning it. You know, I never really wanted a live player to win one because of stuff like this. It's, guess what, Cam Smith? You haven't won anything since you've been on a tour. You've been irrelevant in major. Deschambeau, same for you. Since this feud has started, Brooks Kepka has been the only one competitive in majors on a Sunday. The Phil Mickelson's, the Cam Smith's, the Bryson DeChambeau's, the Garcia's, everyone else has not been competitive. Now, I know Phil Mickelson had that run on Master Sunday, but he wasn't going to touch John Rahm. So, again, it's just it's just Brooks. The other live guys, how about you show up and play for yourselves? Uh, you know, because those guys aren't winning. Uh, those Cam Smiths and DeChambeau's of the world, that really that really hurts me. But, uh, you know, it's, it adds up seven. But to end the PGA Championship on a positive note was Michael Block and his PGA Championship performance, which I thought was tremendous considering he's a, he's a head pro at a, at a golf club, club professional. Um, and was able to climb 3,500 points to number 577 for, by tying tie for 15th. He gets invited back next year. Um, as well, had a hole in one yesterday, a great up and down par save. Um, and now the couple of events have reached out to him to play in as well. So that was really a great story, uh, was Michael Block at the PGA Championship. So this past weekend was great for sports. Tonight, we get Lakers Nuggets. Game four, will the Nuggets complete the sweep? Or will Lakers get the first one of the series? We'll see. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.